Chapter Sixteen of the Return of Tarzan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Return of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Sixteen: The Ivory Raiders. Waziri's warriors marched at a rapid trot through the jungle in the direction of the village. For a few minutes, the sharp cracking of guns ahead warned them to haste, but finally the reports dwindled to an occasional shot presently ceasing altogether. Nor was this less ominous than the rattle of musketry, for it suggested but a single solution to the little band of rescuers, that the illy garrisoned village had already succumbed to the onslaught of a superior force. The returning hunters had covered a little more than three miles of the five that had separated them from the village when they met the first of the fugitives who had escaped the bullets and clutches of the foe. There were a dozen women, youths, and girls in the party, and so excited were they that they could scarce make themselves understood as they tried to relate to Waziri the calamity that had befallen his people. "'They are as many as the leaves of the forest,' cried one of the women, in attempting to explain the enemy's force. "'There are many Arabs and countless Manuma, and they all have guns. They crept close to the village before we knew that they were about.' and then with many shouts they rushed in upon us shooting down men and women and children those of us who could fled in all directions into the jungle but more were killed i do not know whether they took any prisoners or not they seemed only bent upon killing us all the manuma called us many names saying that they would eat us all before they left our country that this was our punishment for killing their friends last year I did not hear much, for I ran away quickly. The march toward the village was now resumed, more slowly and with greater stealth, for Waziri knew that it was too late to rescue. Their only mission could be one of revenge. Inside the next mile a hundred more fugitives were met. There were many men among these, and so the fighting strength of the party was augmented. Now a dozen warriors were sent creeping ahead to reconnoitre. Waziri remained with the main body, which advanced in a thin line that spread in a great crescent through the forest. By the chief's side walked Tarzan. Presently one of the scouts returned. He had come within sight of the village. "'They are all within the palisade,' he whispered. "'Good,' said Waziri. "'We shall rush in upon them and slay them all.' And he made ready to send word along the line that they were to halt at the edge of the clearing until they saw him rush toward the village. Then all were to follow. Wait, cautioned Tarzan. If there are even fifty guns within the palisade, we shall be repulsed and slaughtered. Let me go alone through the trees so that I may look down upon them from above and see just how many there be and what chance we might have were we to charge. It were foolish to lose a single man needlessly if there be no hope of success. I have an idea that we can accomplish more by cunning than by force. Will you wait, Waziri? Yes, said the old chief. Go. So Tarzan sprang into the trees and disappeared in the direction of the village. He moved more cautiously than was his wont, for he knew that men with guns could reach him quite as easily in the treetops as on the ground and when Tarzan of the Apes elected to adopt stealth, no creature in all the jungle could move so silently or so completely efface himself from the sight of an enemy. In five minutes he had wormed his way to the great tree that overhung the palisade at one end of the village, 
and from his point of vantage looked down upon the savage horde beneath. He counted fifty Arabs, and estimated that there were five times as many Manuma. The latter were gorging themselves upon food, and under the very noses of their white masters preparing the gruesome feast, which is the piece de resistance that follows a victory in which the bodies of their slain enemies fall into their horrid hands. The ape-man saw that to charge that wild horde armed as they were with guns and barricaded behind the locked gates of the village would be a futile task, and so he returned to Waziri and advised him to wait, that he, Tarzan, had a better plan. But a moment before one of the fugitives had related to Waziri the story of the atrocious murder of the old chief's wife, and so crazed with rage was the old man that he cast discretion to the winds. Calling his warriors about him, he commanded them to charge, and with brandishing spears and savage yells the little force of scarcely more than a hundred dashed madly toward the village gates. Before the clearing had been half-crossed, the Arabs opened up a withering fire from behind the palisade. With the first volley, Waziri fell. The speed of the chargers slackened. Another volley brought down a half-dozen more. A few reached the barred gates only to be shot in their tracks without the ghost of a chance to gain the inside of the palisade, and then the whole attack crumpled, and the remaining warriors scampered back into the forest. As they ran, the raiders opened the gates, rushing after them, to complete the day's work with the utter extermination of the tribe. Tarzan had been among the last to turn back toward the forest, and now, as he ran slowly, he turned from time to time to speed a well-aimed arrow into the body of a pursuer. Once within the jungle, he found a little knot of determined blacks waiting to give battle to the oncoming horde. But Tarzan cried to them to scatter, keeping out of harm's way until they could gather in force after dark. "'Do as I tell you,' he urged, "'and I will lead you to victory over these enemies of yours. Scatter through the forest, picking up as many stragglers as you can find, and at night, if you think that you have been followed, come by roundabout ways to the spot where we killed the elephants today. Then I will explain my plan, and you will find that it is good.' You cannot hope to pit your puny strength and simple weapons against the numbers and the guns of the Arabs and the Manuma. They finally assented. When you scatter, explained Tarzan in conclusion, your foes will have to scatter to follow you, and so it may happen that if you are watchful you can drop many a Manuma with your arrows from behind some great trees. They had barely time to hasten away farther into the forest before the first of the raiders had crossed the clearing and entered it in pursuit of them. Tarzan ran a short distance along the ground before he took to the trees. Then he raced quickly to the upper terrace, there doubling on his tracks and making his way rapidly back toward the village. Here he found that every Arab and Manuma had joined in the pursuit leaving the village deserted except for the chained prisoners and a single guard. The sentry stood at the open gate, looking in the direction of the forest, so that he did not see the agile giant that dropped to the ground at the far end of the village street. With drawn bow, the ape-man crept stealthily toward his unsuspecting victim. The prisoners had already discovered him, and with wide eyes filled with wonder and with hope, they watched their would-be rescuer. Now he halted not ten paces from the unconscious Manuma, the shaft was drawn back its full length at the height of the keen gray eye that sighted along its polished surface. 
there was a sudden twang as the brown fingers released their hold and without a sound the raider sank forward upon his face a wooden shaft transfixing his heart and protruding a foot from his black chest then tarzan turned his attention to the fifty women and youths chained neck to neck on the long slave chain there was no releasing of the ancient padlocks in the time that was left him so the ape-man called to them to follow him as they were and snatching the gun and cartridge belt from the dead sentry he led the now happy band out through the village gate and into the forest upon the far side of the clearing it was a slow and arduous march, for the slave chain was new to these people, and there were many delays as one of their number would stumble and fall, dragging others down with her. Then, too, Tarzan had been forced to make a wide detour to avoid any possibility of meeting with returning raiders. He was partially guided by occasional shots, which indicated that the Arab horde was still in touch with the villagers, but he knew that if they would but follow his advice, there would be but few casualties other than on the side of the marauders. Toward dusk the firing ceased entirely, and Tarzan knew that the Arabs had all returned to the village. He could scarce repress a smile of triumph as he thought of their rage on discovering that their guard had been killed and their prisoners taken away. Tarzan had wished that he might have taken some of the great store of ivory the village contained, solely for the purpose of still further augmenting the wrath of his enemies, but he knew that that was not necessary for its salvation, since he already had a plan mapped out which would effectually prevent the Arabs leaving the country with a single tusk, and it would have been cruel to have needlessly burdened these poor overwrought women with the extra weight of the heavy ivory. It was after midnight when Tarzan, with his slow-moving caravan, approached the spot where the elephants lay. Long before they reached it they had been guided by the huge fire the natives had built in the center of a hastily improvised boma, partially for warmth and partially to keep off chance lions. When they had come close to the encampment Tarzan called aloud to let them know that friends were coming. It was a joyous reception the little party received when the blacks within the boma saw the long file of fettered friends and relatives enter the firelight. These had all been given up as lost forever, as had Tarzan as well, so that the happy blacks would have remained awake all night to feast on elephant meat and celebrate the return of their fellows had not Tarzan insisted that they take what sleep they could against the work of the coming day. At that sleep was no easy matter for the women who had lost their men or their children in the day's massacre and battle made night hideous with their continued wailing and howling. Finally, however, Tarzan succeeded in silencing them on the plea that their noise would attract the Arabs to their hiding place when all would be slaughtered. When dawn came, Tarzan explained his plan of battle to the warriors, and without demur one and all agreed that it was the safest and surest way in which to rid themselves of their unwelcome visitors and be revenged for the murder of their fellows. First the women and children, with a guard of some twenty old warriors and youths, were started southward to be entirely out of the zone of danger. They had instructions to erect temporary shelter and construct a protecting boma of thornbush, for the plan of campaign which Tarzan had chosen was one which might stretch out over many days, or even weeks, during which time the warriors would not return to the new camp. 
Two hours after daylight a thin circle of black warriors surrounded the village. At intervals one was perched high in the branches of a tree which could overlook the palisade. Presently a manuma within the village fell, pierced by a single arrow. There had been no sound of attack, none of the hideous war-cries or vainglorious waving of menacing spears that ordinarily marks the attack of savages, just a silent messenger of death from out of the silent forest. The Arabs and their followers were thrown into a fine rage at this unprecedented occurrence. They ran for the gates to wreak dire vengeance upon the foolhardy perpetrator of the outrage. But they suddenly realized that they did not know which way to turn to find the foe. As they stood debating with many angry shouts and much gesticulating, one of the Arabs sank silently to the ground in their very midst, a thin arrow protruding from his heart. Tarzan had placed the finest marksmen of the tribe in the surrounding trees, with directions never to reveal themselves while the enemy was faced in their direction. As a black released his messenger of death, he would slink behind this sheltering stem of the tree he had selected, nor would he again aim until a watchful eye told him that none was looking toward his tree. Three times the Arabs started across the clearing in the direction from which they thought the arrows came, but each time another arrow would come from behind to take its toll from among their number. Then they would turn and charge in a new direction. Finally they set out upon a determined search of the forest, but the blacks melted before them so that they saw no sign of an enemy. But above them lurked a grim figure in the dense foliage of the mighty trees. It was Tarzan of the apes, hovering over them as if he had been the shadow of death. Presently a Manuma forged ahead of his companions. There was none to see from what direction death came, and so it came quickly, and a moment later those behind stumbled over the dead body of their comrade, the inevitable arrow piercing the still heart. It does not take a great deal of this manner of warfare to get upon the nerves of white men, and so it is little to be wondered at that the Manuma were soon panic-stricken. Did one forge ahead, an arrow found his heart, did one lag behind, he never again was seen alive. Did one stumble to one side, even for a bare moment, from the sight of his fellows, he did not return. And always, when they came upon the bodies of their dead, they found those terrible arrows, driven with the accuracy of superhuman power, straight through the victim's heart. But worse than all else was the hideous fact that not once during the morning had they seen or heard the slightest sign of an enemy other than the pitiless arrows. When finally they returned to the village, it was no better. Every now and then, at varying intervals that were maddening in the terrible suspense they caused, a man would plunge forward dead. The blacks besought their masters to leave this terrible place, but the Arabs feared to take up the march through the grim and hostile forest beset by this new and terrible enemy while laden with the great store of ivory they had found within the village but worse yet, they hated to leave the ivory behind. Finally, the entire expedition took refuge within the thatched huts. Here, at least, they would be free from the arrows. Tarzan, from the tree above the village, had marked the hut into which the chief Arabs had gone, and, balancing himself upon an overhanging limb, he drove his heavy spear with all the force of his giant muscles through the thatched roof. A howl of pain told him that it had found a mark. With this parting salute to convince them that there was no safety for them anywhere within the country, 
Tarzan returned to the forest, collected his warriors, and withdrew a mile to the south to rest and eat. He kept sentries in several trees that commanded a view of the trail toward the village, but there was no pursuit. An inspection of his force showed not a single casualty, not even a minor wound, while rough estimates of the enemy's loss convinced the blacks that no fewer than twenty had fallen before their arrows. They were wild with elation, and were for finishing the day in one glorious rush upon the village, during which they would slaughter the last of their foemen. They were even picturing the various tortures they would inflict, and gloating over the suffering of the Manuma, for whom they entertained a peculiar hatred, when Tarzan put his foot down flatly upon the plan. "'You are crazy,' he cried. "'I have shown you the only way to fight these people. Already you have killed twenty of them without the loss of a single warrior.' whereas yesterday, following your own tactics, which you would now renew, you lost at least a dozen, and killed not a single Arab or Manuma. You will fight just as I tell you to fight, or I shall leave you and go back to my own country. They were frightened when he threatened this, and promised to obey him scrupulously if he would but promise not to desert them. Very well, he said, we shall return to the elephant boma for the night. I have a plan to give the Arabs a little taste of what they may expect if they remain in our country, but I shall need no help. Come, if they suffer no more for the balance of the day, they will feel reassured, and the relapse into fear will be even more nerve-wracking than as though we continued to frighten them all afternoon. So they marched back to their camp of the previous night, and lighting great fires, ate and recounted the adventures of the day until long after dark. Tarzan slept until midnight. Then he arose and crept into the Sumerian blackness of the forest. An hour later he came to the edge of the clearing before the village. There was a campfire burning within the palisade. The ape-man crept across the clearing until he stood before the barred gates. Through the interstices he saw a lone sentry sitting before the fire. Quietly Tarzan went to the tree at the end of the village street. He climbed softly to his place, and fitted an arrow to his bow. For several minutes he tried to sight fairly upon the sentry, but the waving branches and flickering firelight convinced him that the danger of a miss was too great. He must touch the heart full in the center to bring the quiet and sudden death his plan required. He had brought, besides his bow, arrows, and rope, the gun he had taken the previous day from the other sentry he had killed. Caching all these in a convenient crotch of the tree, he dropped lightly to the ground within the palisade, armed only with his long knife. The sentry's back was toward him. Like a cat, Tarzan crept upon the dozing man. He was within two paces of him now. Another instant and the knife would slide silently into the fellow's heart. Tarzan crouched for a spring, for that is ever the quickest and surest attack of the jungle beast, when the man, warned by some subtle sense, sprang to his feet and faced the ape-man. End of chapter 16